I so remember wanting to meet a producer who wanted to make something I wrote and definitely did not feel like an overnight moment, but it did happen sort of unexpectedly. If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. Today, we're doing it. We're talking to someone who is about to premiere his feature directorial debut. Our guest does not hold back and gives you the unfiltered truth about how he found a producer and financing for his original script, how he survived the struggle of those first few years at a film school, and some secret hacks on methods to boost your writing productivity. Matt McClung is a writer-director from Corpus Christi, Texas. His short film, One to One, premiered at the 2019 Austin Film Festival and has been featured on Short of the Week and director's notes. In 2020, he sold a pilot to Adult Swim for an animated horror comedy series co-written by Matt Maillaro, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. His feature film, Inhabitants, is currently set to premiere at the 30th Austin Film Festival in October 2023. In his spare time, he enjoys running, reading, and spending time with his cat, Phoebe. We're getting into so much today, you guys. I really feel like this is kind of a handbook for someone that wants to make their first feature film, especially if it's something that's an original concept. So I cannot wait for you to hear all of Matt's insights about his process and exactly how he did it. Let's jump into the interview. Matt, thank you so much for giving me your first ever podcast interview. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. So your first feature film, your directorial debut, has recently gotten into the Austin Film Festival, which you'll be attending in a couple weeks. We're recording this October 20th, 2023. This is next week for you. How are you feeling? I am very excited. Uh, I'm nervous. This will kind of be the first really large scale public showing of the movie in its basically finished form with music, sound effects, VFX and everything. So yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to see what people make of it. But I'm also, yeah, I'm terrified from being completely honest. I think it'll be good. But why are you terrified? Because it's a horror movie. Sorry, terrible uh, host joke. Because it's a horror movie? You're saying, am I terrified of my own of film? Of your own film. Yeah, I am so afraid to go in the theater to see my own movie. No, you know, it's just, you just never know what people are going to make of it. And it's funny, like, I think throughout the process, you're working on it and you're like, okay, I feel really good about this part. I'm excited about this part. And then the second I finish it, I'm usually like, oh my God, please just like it. Please, anybody like it. Mm. So I'm kind of trying to stay cautiously optimistic. But on a personal level, my, my parents will be there. You know, my family lives outside of Austin. I have some friends coming, so mm. I'm just excited for them to see the film that we've all been working on for the last couple years. Did that play into your decision of where to premiere the film? Not necessarily. I mean, we tried a bunch of sort of different places, and then it was also just a matter of getting the movie ready in time with like our post-production schedule. But I should say my short film called One to One played there at the end of 2019, mm. and a lot of us went to the Austin Film Festival and it was a really amazing experience. Like it, it was an amazing festival. The conferences are great. Austin's food's good, music's good. And that especially felt, you know, it, ha it took on a, a deeper resonance because 
we didn't know it at the time, but like early 2020, that was one of the last big movie watching things we basically did. And production shut down. You couldn't go to the movies. So in the years since then, it's it's meant a lot to me. And the fact that they wanted the movie and that we'd had such a good experience in the past, it felt like a natural evolution. And I'm I'm really grateful, honestly. Was there communication with the festival during the entry process as an alumni? You know, I it's interesting. I mentioned it um, when I submitted and emailed somebody. But some I mean, I, you know, I guess speaking frankly, like there'd been some turnover in the last you know, a few years or whatever. So I don't totally know. Like, I know there mm-hmm. is an option. They flag it as an alumni. But basically, we sent it in. I emailed someone and I talked to one or two people. And then we heard months later. So that was it. It really it really wasn't, you know, that, you know, that is nerve wracking. Usually you get some kind of whisper or heads up somewhere. Um, and there was they did ask at one point sort of vaguely, like if we had premiered somewhere or not. But a lot of festivals do that. So mm-hmm. I, had, I had no idea, though. Like, you know, the day it came in, it was amazing. What was that like? Set the scene for us. Oh, my God. Well, I was coming home from this sort of part-time job I do where I teach film to eighth graders. And I love this job. It's amazing. And it, we're working on making these movies. And I was just walking up to my apartment and I had a text from a producer I've been working with. And it just was a screenshot of the acceptance email. So very mundane. And actually, I saw it, put my bag down, went inside, changed out of my work clothes, and just got in the car because I had to drive my sister to LAX, which took... I kid you not, three hours. So for those three hours, I was just thinking about like, we just got into this festival, but I, you know, had to go to the airport. So there was still more pressing day to day stuff. So I didn't even really get to totally celebrate it and tell everyone until I was home. Mm, this is just tell me you are a Los Angeles director without telling me you are. Of course. A Los right, Angeles right. Yeah. Director. Yeah. <laughs> Going from Los Feliz to LAX. Well, shout out Latino Film Institute. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, the uh, youth cinema project. Um, it's this sort of this job I've started doing the last few months, and we're basically helping these kids and like part of their English program make a movie. And you know, it's um, it's awesome, and it, it's a really cool organization because it's like a lot of filmmakers work there, and mm. you know, so there's practical experience, but also like uh, I just love the story ideas they're coming up with. So yeah, definitely, yeah. kids. Yeah, they definitely have the best imaginations. So for someone who hasn't seen your film yet which is basically everyone unless you've pirated it uh, at this if, stage if anyone has done that i would be amazed and <laughs> frankly please like just let me know what you think <laughs> and please uh, don't share it anywhere else <laughs> yeah how would you describe the film and especially how would you describe it as a piece in your larger collection of work because from what mm. i've seen from you you're not strictly all about this type of tone or this type of genre Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Well, the sort of shortest pitch of the movie is that it is a film about a young woman who moves in with her lapsed Catholic boyfriend and they're not married and things start going bump in the night and they sort of quickly come to realize they're being haunted by the ghost of his childhood youth minister who disapproves of the disobedience and has come to punish them for their sins. I think that's the 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 quickest pitch. And then in terms of the type of movie, it's it's like a haunted house movie, sort of in the spirit of like poltergeist um, or there's a movie called The Innkeepers from about 10 years ago. That was a big reference for us. But it is really also, I think, a a 
movie about like a relationship and when you uh just discover the truth about the person you've you've chosen to be with um but in a good way and like a hopefully a beautiful way so mm. and how it fits in terms of larger tone that's a great question i um i mean well you know i love horror movies i love especially that particular corner of horror movies which is like haunted house sort of Usually they're about like very elegant, wealthy people in England and their mansions are being haunted. And I, I think I liked doing something in that mode of like a classic ghost story, um, but was about more of like kind of a, you know, a, more of a Patagonia wearing couple of people, um, a more like relatable millennial couple, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Hipsters, a horror movie, a haunted house movie about hipsters, but that that stuff is just secondary and more just exploring the emotional stuff. And I I had just been, you know, basically jonesing to to make a movie that used that kind of dread and atmosphere, but also mm. had comedy and, you know, levity. And I guess too, there's there are a lot of horror comedies out there, but one thing I was really interested in was making all the comedy come from uh behavioral, like personality relationships and characterizations and not so much of like, oh, like this is we're inverting the genre or something because mm-hmm. a lot of horror comedies are usually about how it's like you're you're sort of doing something that is playing on a the audience's expectations which we 100 percent are doing as well but mm. i wanted a lot of the humor and emotion to come from their personalities and their relationships and you know they always say with the horror movie and i do think it is it's true that if you just removed the horror part the movie should function as a movie, you know, mm. and in our case about this couple that move in and have different beliefs and say it's not a big deal and then stuff starts to happen and it becomes a big deal. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the long answer. Uh, no, that was great. And something I've noticed about your work, just being your friend for a long time, mm-hmm. is you kind of take these very relatable scenarios in this case you know someone is in a relationship and moving in with someone and you really find a way to make them totally absurd and there's always some sort of element from catholicism in it whether it's a nun at the restaurant or in this case the person's background could you tell me more about maybe some personal roots that are contributing to this totally i'm so delighted you are the one asking me this question (laughs) um Yes. Yeah, I mean, totally, you know, it was a big part of my life. It's still a big part of my life in terms of just like, it's, it's interesting to me. Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it's a complicated subject, but like. That's in, okay. I, yeah. I actually feel like you have to comment on the religion totally. necessarily. Just kind of the elements from your own background mm-hmm. that makes you kind of think of some of this stuff or incorporate it. Because yeah. I, I don't think someone who's not raised in the church even thinks to incorporate a character, a side character who's a nun or sure. this, has this you know, thought process about someone encountering this type of struggle. It's a great, it's a great point. Yeah. That I think it's interesting if you grew up in and around that kind of stuff, your brain just automatically goes there of like, and especially I think in a movie about, you know, one of the things without spoiling the movies that our main character, Olivia is a practitioner of like new age, like beliefs and, you know, crystals and all that kind of stuff. And that comes to to head when there's a, you know, with a Catholic character, but yeah, I don't know how they got together, to be honest. Uh, well, you know, they said it wasn't that big of a deal at the beginning, but then if a ghost moves into your house, suddenly there's a lot of opinions on how you're going to fix that problem. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, that it's it's there. It's in so many movies of the genre, like The Exorcist or, you know, any any of those films where religion is a part of how you're going to deal with this. But 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's just if you separate all the kind of like moral expectational stuff about Catholicism, you're just told amazing stories growing up, like the Old Testament, the New Testament. These are like guilt infused stories of like punishment, but also redemption and people struggle and change. And if you're just a child hearing these stories, they're very epic and mythic. And I know people who are not raised Christian or Catholic at all are interested in the Bible for that reason, because Mm. it's just some crazy like the Bible, what what happens in there in the Old Testament. Like it's, it's wild. Yeah. I saw an article a few months ago of an executive describing Jesus's story as the world's greatest IP. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. That is sort of a a fraught statement on many levels to unpack, but they're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like, there's just, it's, you know, it is like a, a really violent action movie. And if you look at any, like a number of filmmakers who have sort of touched on religious themes in their work. Um, This week, we have uh, a new film from, I would say, the the Pope of cinema, Martin Scorsese, who he's the king of Catholic guilt, and all his movies are about it, even if they are not about it. Mm. But um, him or the Coen brothers, like, it's all all just stories about people who make a mistake and are punished for it and then are trying to outrun the consequences of those actions and it's it's just good drama so that's interesting that's interesting that's the kind of take from catholicism as well last year maybe earlier this year i saw alfonso Cuarón interviewing guillermo del toro about this as well and Mm -hmm. saying you're not a lapsed catholic buddy you're a catholic (laughs) which is debatable but same thing in the latest pinocchio there's these elements of kind of the the struggle someone can face in sort of the, those religious situations. And I do appreciate even when someone has left the faith because I'm still in it when it's depicted in a way that's authentic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a big difference even when someone is criticizing the faith, when they depict Catholic characters or if they're not totally on board with the faith, it makes a huge difference if that person actually understands the sure. faith that came from it. So very excited for people to see the film. Is this going to be your first time seeing it in a theater? Yes. Yeah, basically. Besides sort of like smaller quality control situations, but the first time or any like smaller screenings, the first time with any number amount of people. So Mm. that'll be really exciting and stressful. I think, you know, probably for the first 15 minutes, I'll just be sitting there melting down. And then eventually it all hopefully be able to if people are going on the ride, I can enjoy the reaction to it. Well, but. it's not on a block like shorts, right? So people are there to see your movie. No, they're there to see so, the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But more. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, and, and that was interesting. It was when I showed my short at Austin a few years ago, that was in a block. And, you know, that's it's like 12 or 13 minutes. So the first three or four minutes, you're just you're just at least I am. I'm just panicking. I'm like, it's too dark. It's too quiet. It's too, you know, things that I have been told like nobody else cares about in that moment. But you're like, oh, no, this is dying or whatever. And then eventually you can kind of chill out. But it's a short. So you're like, you can chill out and enjoy it for four minutes and then it's over. Um, And I'm glad with the feature, at least I'll have some time to, like, get my neurosis out of the way. Because, yeah, it'll, it'll be really instructive. And a lot of our crew will be there. And so I think it'll be really helpful for. Yeah. Just people who worked on the movie to see, like, how's this thing play? You know, like. In yeah. the theater. Yeah. yeah. Is it, did this thing work? You know? Yeah. So. So the runtime of this film is just under two hours, which is a little bit longer than, I guess, the average horror film. Did you know that going into it? Was it always a long script or was this a pacing thing that you encountered in the edit? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an hour and technically it's like an hour and 46 in terms of like picture to mm-hmm. picture. Um, and 
the script I think was like our shooting script ended up being about like 96 97 pages so we gained you know like 10 10 minutes from the script which I had sort of assumed we would given the pace of a horror movie yeah I mean there was some discussion about it in post-production and we tried really radical lifts of things and stuff and, and then there was more and then we sort of settled on something in the middle and first I mean first of all I should say Eric Falk Nielsen edited this movie. Shout out to Eric. Eric, yeah. I mean, he is so attuned to performance and pace and emotion and tone that, you know, besides having like a whole host of technical skills as an editor to be able to just pull it off technically, it's like he really cares about story and he he would always be somebody that I would defer to if like if we needed something or not. So mm. if we mm. didn't need it, we would we'd take it out and there would be things that I maybe thought we should take out and try it. And Eric would be like, I think we kind of need this. And, um, he, yeah, I mean, he, he was just the objective eyes and ears and he really, maybe cause he, he, you know, I don't know if you know this about him, but he trained as an actor at USC yes. before he became an editor. I really think that is a, a major skill of his as, mm. as an editor because he can look beyond the technical. And there'd be times we would look at scenes and I'd ask to see alts of, um, performances and, we'd go through six takes and I'd be like, Eric, pick the best one. Like, yeah, and I can trust him. Yeah, 100%. So it kind of kept coming back to a lot of horror movies are sort of in that 90-minute zone. And I had noticed a lot of those tend to be more of fight-for-your-life, survival, slasher, Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, um, which I love. But the movies that really influenced this film were... The early 2000s, kind of inadvertently, not on purpose, but like what we looked at were like um, the early M. Night Shyamalan movies like uh, The Sixth Sense and Mm. Signs and Unbreakable and um, movies of my childhood that I just love and I think are so evocative and atmospheric and emotional and beautiful. And those are all like an hour 45, an hour 46. I think Get Out is like an hour 45. So... You know, looking at the runtime, I was like, okay, we're kind of in that zone, and mm. and um, yeah, I feel good. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you know, if the movie just dies on its feet next week, um, <laughs> we might look at trends. But I don't no, know. No, no, and I, I don't ask that question to suggest that it should sure. be shorter. I just think, especially sometimes for a first feature, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just an economic decision as well. So I also want to speak about that before we move on from mm-hmm. Inhabitants. So this is your first feature film as a director, but you've been directing for a long time, practicing your craft for a long time. What was the catalyst to being able to actually make this movie? And how did you go about finding the financing, getting the script to a place where you liked it, bringing the right team on board? All of the things that young Matt was going to be asking (laughs) eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it definitely was did not feel like an overnight moment, but it did happen sort of unexpectedly. But one thing I guess guess I would say is that I'd made short films like on and off throughout the years in school and then graduating. And I worked for a couple of years really on trying to get the script in shape so that I felt proud of it and felt good about sending it out to people. And a lot of... My friends, other talented writers, you know, I especially want to shout out um, our co-producer, Katie Waldron, and my friend, filmmaker, Corey Sherman, and my sister, Katie McClung, really read like multiple drafts of this script and watched it change over time. And I just tried to get it to a place that I felt good. And I this was about you know the middle point of the pandemic. 
I reached a point with it where I was like, okay, I should ask some people who have done this before. And at that point, I was thinking about like a really, really low budget version of it, of how do we pull this off with truly the least amount of resources? Because that's what I thought I had at my disposal. And I reached out to a producer, though I didn't know at the time he was a producer. He was a filmmaker producer I had met named Thomas Rainier, who had made a movie a few years back that was kind of on a larger scale. And I basically said... Hey, I know you've done this before. Can I just pick your brain as like a, a director? And he said, sure. And I was like, oh, I'll just send you the script. And I, I did it almost as an afterthought. But then, yeah, he read it and he he liked it. And he had, you know, had a good experience producing his his last film because um, he was one of the physical producers of it as well as the director. And he offered to to help produce it as a as a full producer on this movie, which is a surprise and is ironic because I so remember coming out of school and just like really wanting to meet a producer who wanted to make something I wrote and I don't know like yeah it just it never really clicked and then it was on totally on accident and it's funny because I had a list of people I was going to ask about how to do this and his his name was just at the very top of the list so I just never set up any of the other meetings so it was really ironic it was the first person I asked but I will say that was after years of rewriting the script like three or four years all through covid making other shorts, working on other projects, and really asking a lot of my friends to help give feedback and read multiple versions of it that, you know, you look back now and you're like, oh my God, it was, it was so bad. Then the first, the first few, but it's part of the process. And basically he had an experience on his last film where it was the same group of investors who had invested in the last movie he made. And they had a good experience enough. And uh, he asked like, you guys want to do this again? And that was how we patched together the majority of our initial financing to get the project rolling and to start building it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, we had to go out and hunt for more financiers. And eventually, though, I, I should say, like, one of the things that really and I, I would give this as a piece of advice to anybody looking to do this. And if you have a script you feel really good about, I don't have like an agent or manager. No one really on our production team did that. So we didn't go through that way of having a representative do it. But what we did do was we got a really good recommendation for a incredible casting director named Bess Pfeiffer. And she really agreed to take the project on and I think lent it a lot of legitimacy with trying to help get an actor attached to it through her connections and her years of work, basically. And I 100% think she's, you know, it, that really helped kick it off and get it moving after, like, Thomas, myself, our other team, we'd, we'd sort of put together the initial parts of it. So that was sort of what set it in motion, and then it just came down to all the logistical stuff of who, what, when, where, how much, and eventually we just uh, we wound up going into production into the spring of 2022. So, you know, spring to summer. And uh, since then, it's it's just been post and then completing the movie. Yeah, I think that's a sort of a total off the top of my head <laughs> explanation for a long, complicated process full of full of doubt and despair, but also excitement. But yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So in working with this casting director, mm -hmm. did you get your first choices? Were these people that best recommended? Were these people that you wanted to go out to? What was that process like? That was a, it was a great process. I mean, it was something where some of them were just tape sent in when the material was sent out. And that's always exciting. And I really love when you get material like 
somebody reading the script because it's just like there's no questions that so you're like okay this person can do it and but both of them were discoveries to us in the best way i should say their names like um anna jacoby heron is the lead of our movie um and she was incredible to work with and then her co-star is uh a young man named josh andrus rivera and yeah i mean both of them just when we we saw their their footage and their samples we were like this is it and then it was just a matter of getting the things to line up and getting the dates to work and, you know, make it all come together. So. All right. So that is inhabitants. Very excited for you to compete next week. What is the category that you are in the running for and how can people see it if they are at Austin Film Festival? Yeah, we're screening as part of the Dark Matters category and we are competing for the jury prize in that category. And the film will be screening Sunday, October 29th at 8.45 p.m. The details are on Austin's website. Also, our second screening is November 1st, Wednesday at 7 p.m. All Saints Day, how appropriate. That's exactly what my mother said. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, and I, yeah, I think, you know, if you're in Austin or you're at all interested in horror or ghosts or relationships, one of the great things about their lineup is that it is right before Halloween. So mm. I could not be more excited to be showing this movie on Halloween week. So yeah, come, come by and uh, follow us on Inhabitants Movie Instagram as well at Inhabitants Movie. Perfect. I, I expect some some live updates from the festival while you're there we'll yeah we'll be posting some so congratulations on getting into austin on your first feature directorial debut let's talk about the path that got you there and we can start first with kind of entering the professional world as a director right out of film school you attended usc school of cinematic arts what were your first steps and what was the path between then and now sure yeah i mean it was a long one in terms of just sustaining belief in yourself and endurance and supporting yourself in a day job sense. But yeah, it uh, right out of school, I mean, I, I have to be totally honest. I remember for like a year or something just feeling like a lot of people do. Like I was flailing and struggling and, you know, I was trying to get like a, I was doing like sort of PA stuff, that kind of thing, but it wasn't really consistent or taking. And I did some other kind of odd things here and there just to sort of support myself. But it was like a difficult, the larger part of a year. And during that time, I was also making a short film um, and it was, it was a great experience, but I, you know, if I'm being hundred percent honest, I just so remember being just sort of a little unmoored after school. What do you mean unmoored? Just sort of feeling like, oh, I I needed to find some kind of consistent film-related day job that would support my um, expensive hobby of making short films. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and sort of balancing those and just sort of wondering like what the future was going to look like. And it's something that I guess like looking back on film school, it's really good if you can have like a trade that you can go into the world with if it's like you want to write or direct but you're also you know a good sound designer or a production designer or i mean and you know and several people we went to school with are started directing right out of school and commercials and music videos mm-hmm. and producing those things and that's great like they you know people work hard to set that kind of thing up in advance and i just so remember like kind of being like now now what um and Throughout that period of time, I was writing like constantly and just trying to figure out how I liked to make films and do it. But near the, near the end of that, I, I sort of settled into a job like working as an editor for like a branded content company and doing that kind of thing. And that really helped in terms of just having a base of like, OK, I know 
I will, you know, make it to next month, which mm, a lot of filmmakers, mm. you know, that's that's the worry. And that has kind of come and gone as the years things have changed. But it's it was just like at the time I remember it was it helped me. It took some of the anxiety off my shoulders and allowed me to feel a little more free to like think about, OK, well, I have this job now. How in my spare time am I going to use the time I have that I've been given to to try to make a film and get better and keep writing? And I remember during that period, I mean, I remember even basically from school being so consumed by like, I got to write a first feature that's like so good that you can like, you know, go get it made and all this kind of stuff. And I I, I wrote a few things in there and um, some I think work work better than others, but it was it was a good learning process of like that kind of intensity around it was helpful because it kept me motivated. But I also felt like it looking back, I'm like it maybe ch- choked some of my I was gripping the rails a little too tightly and on the ride of life. And I, I wish I had ch- just chilled out and be like, it'll be OK. And OK, well, this yeah. is this is actually <laughs> something I think about a lot. Yeah, I think. Do you actually believe that you would have been able to accomplish everything that you have accomplished and are accomplishing if you weren't just a little bit psychotic? Mm. In your ambition. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's weird because in your brain, it doesn't seem psychotic, but I guess like I would have to ask the people close to me, um, to characterize it, to like, see if it's, if it's intense. Um, I, and I mean, uh, listen, I know that's not, not saying, how yeah, you yeah. felt it was. I'm not trying mean. to characterize it that way. Yeah, it's yeah. just, you're saying you wish you had approached it with a lower level of intensity. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess my question is if you had reduced the intensity, do you think right. that would it had? Yeah. It's a good worked. point. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think wanting something and really desiring it perhaps and in like an unhealthy way does help, um, <laughs> but, but it's about how you go about it. And also just, you know, if one of the things that I thought was really valuable in the years after college was in school, if you do like a writing program or whatever, they teach you how to write and that kind of thing or production, how to make a movie. But it is it's their way. It's you know, it's their way. And they teach it that way for a reason. But I looking back on it, I was like, oh, the so intervening two or three years after school, I felt like that was a little bit like a kind of your extracurricular film school where just making shorts, um, working on other filmmakers shorts like friends shorts as like editors or crew or watching their movies and working Mm -hmm. on scripts Mm -hmm. with them and reading their scripts that was school 2.0 and that has actually been a really rewarding part of my life since school because well one it's like going to a class where everyone actually cares because they took the time to write a script and want to show it to you and get feedback and collaborate and stuff so are we talking about writers groups post graduation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um it never really morphed into like a writers group officially, but it was I have, you know, a group of friends, other filmmakers and writers. The community. Yeah, who who we just send stuff back and forth and are always getting feedback and reading multiple drafts and over the years that has really one it just helps you keep the fire alive in yourself. It you don't feel like, you know, it it's exciting when one of my friends is like, I finished a new script. Do you want to read it? I, I get excited because it's just like, yeah, we're all still doing this. Everyone's still hanging in there and, and trying to to pursue it in some way. Or if they're like, I produced this movie. Do you want to watch a cut of it or any of that kind of thing? I, I just shot a short. Will you take a look or like help me with it? I like it because it, you know, it's it's keeping it alive. And that I sort of felt like was really a good experience after school of like just just figuring out how I like to work in terms of how I like to write and write my stories or you know and then collaborate with other people and 
develop skills through short films that looking back, I'm like, okay, I could kind of see we were trying out how to pull something off like this. And in the moment, you're just thinking like what would make a good story and, Mm. you know, be is engaging to us. But over a longer period of time, you can see you're you're building to something, even though in the moment you're like you don't feel like you're building to anything. You feel like you're just um, like, you know, basically in the middle of an ocean in a thunderstorm trying to grasp on to anything <laughs> like right please like a you know day job like a good idea like yeah but but it's consistency over time right it is it's it's a cliche but the like it is a marathon not a sprint mm-hmm. um is is very true and it, that's comforting to me because i don't like the idea of like a frenzy to do something i it i like I'm, I'm, I guess I, in, in terms of how I write and work, I, I like to work on something every single day, even if it's for a little bit. That's great. Yeah, it helps chill me out. So just speaking practically, OK, mm-hmm. so you graduate, mm-hmm. you have this job editing to help pay the bills. When were you fitting in time for your writing? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I live on the east side still do and i worked in santa monica That's and why i took three hours to get to lax yeah <laughs> it's true yeah and uh in this period of time this is sort of pre-covid i would take the la metro to all the way to santa monica and that gave me about an hour and 10 minutes of travel time every morning to my editing job and i would just write on the train on my legal pad and oh you d- i was about to ask yeah because taking a laptop on yeah, the metro yeah. and i little... actually i and also too and I, I don't know if other editors feel this way but i always try to write my first drafts on yellow paper legal pad uh not out of any like sort of annoying artistic pretentiousness but because so much of my job involves looking at a computer screen all day it's like the eye fatigue of also having to write my script at least in its initial form where i'm figuring it out like on a computer screen that's also white like i was just like it, it would break it up for me and i would also you know leave my during my editing job i'd go to um this college near our office and write during lunch and get a coffee or something and just try to power through and that is 100 percent how i wrote the first few drafts of inhabitants mm. like i have them at home and they were written on the la metro to and from my editing wow, job how jk rowling of you <laughs> I know it is. It is very like it was written on napkins on the metro, <laughs> on the train. But uh, it was great. I mean, one of the things I like about writing a script by hand, at least on the first draft, is because in a screenplay, there's like a lot of expectations about like what needs to happen on what page. And as you're writing a final draft, you can literally see the page you're on, and it's like how how much information is on the page and what's going on in the story. And I think that's all really helpful and important but when i'm writing the first version of the story where i'm just figuring it out outlining it or writing it or kind of doing something in the middle i really like to just write it as as i was just in the the notebook and kind of try to guess like to build an internal rhythm of the story of like this feels like this is the 30 minute mark which usually is like something's got to happen at the end of act one to kind of kick this thing into gear like the character's got to go do something or something big has got to happen and i like the experience of putting that on paper and finding if it lines up or if it doesn't you're like okay now i gotta take some stuff out like i feel like it's already an advantage and a revision it's like a free revision i get putting it into the computer because mm. also too when you go back and read written something you've, you've written like typing it up into a computer i'm like oh well, that, that, that's horrible and then you change it as you go and i'm already entering into the digital realm with like a lot more confidence about the material and i just find it it, it helps me get a grasp on the story before the screenplay form is telling me like 
you got to hit your this mark by this mark, you know. And also, too, you can go into the script and be like, okay, this thing's way too long. And I, I find it's a lot easier to take stuff out instead of, like, you know, just be writing in final draft. But everyone's different, you know. I, I know some writers who they just go in, they write in final draft, and it's great. And I'm the other way where, like, I... I write it on legal pad, then I write it in the notes app of my computer, and then I revise it there several times, and then I start putting it in front. I, like, avoid it. It is, you know, it's called final draft for a reason, because <laughs> it is the final one for me. I, like, avoid it until it's, like, a super, like, inconvenient time, and people are like, why isn't the script in final draft? So That's so funny. Yeah. That's the process. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I mean, yeah, you got a point. It's not first draft. I think you're the only person I know that writes their first draft on a legal pad. That's a fun fact about Matt for you. Yeah. Um, so if you ever see me in court in jury duty <laughs> and it looks like I'm taking notes on the case, I'm actually just just cooking up a new script. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you were editing at this branded job. Mm-hmm. I think a choice people make when they're early in their careers is... Do I want to take a trade job like you called it? Sure. In sort of the the film, the overall film media industry, or do I want to do something totally outside of it, like bartending, you know, Uber, that kind of thing, to fund the lifestyle? And mm-hmm. I think something that's a, a real fear for people, especially graduating college, is if I do anything else other than direct, I'm going to get pigeonholed and I won't be able to direct. So I guess I'm curious what your thought process was in pursuing editing, which clearly has worked out beautifully for you. And it's funny because you mentioned even Eric, yeah. your editor, started an acting that complimented editing well. So it, it all just works together. But also I'm interested to know if you formed any relationships in that digital sphere or that branded content sphere, or if you were able to leverage anything out of that job to benefit your primary interest in directing scripted content. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Well, the first thing I should say is the producer, uh, Thomas Rainier, the filmmaker I knew who, you know, set this movie up, like, I met him there Mm. at this job, Mm. you know, and met him through people there, and it all kind of goes back. And it's and a lot of other filmmakers whose work I know are there. So Mm. it is just like, even, you know, in the unlikeliest places, there are connections and personal relationships that come back to benefit you in an organic way where it's less targeted of like, I'll work here and meet this person. Cause that's also just a weird way to approach anything of like, I'll meet this person and get this like, but it is weird. I remember in school, they would like really encourage you to sort of think strategically. But I think back to your earlier question, it's a great question. And it's something I've even thought about in my own life. Like, did I do the right thing? I think everyone does. Yeah. 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 And I don't know, I guess what I would say is I have known people who've done every realm of like some people did what I'm doing and cut and then just try to get their own projects made. Um, and that is great. Cause one of the nice things about a lot of editing post-production is that, you know, it's, it's not as time intensive as working on sets for a long time where sometimes you'll be doing, you know, 13 hour days or something. And it's hard to go home and write after that. But you're trading that for onset experience, which is incredibly valuable. It's true. And it's something I worry about now. Are my abilities getting worse because I spend a lot of time writing and editing, but like the friends of ours who shoot music videos and commercials and that stuff, I'm, you know, it, it, you're just getting your hours in. And they, they, I guess they do say it a lot. Like directors really don't spend that much time doing what they're doing because it's such a whole thing to like get a movie made. Mm. And it's something in the future of like, I would like to find some way to just work more as like a, 
filmmaker on set separate even from like my own projects because i i love doing it and working with actors and just physically being on my feet it is my favorite thing to do Mm. more than writing more than editing it's the best like i love the thrill of it and it's exhilarating and i love working with people on set crew and cast and Mm. it feels good but yeah i mean if someone i know really amazing writers who were who were like worked as bartenders and did uber and 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 any kind of thing that they felt supported their life most people need to have some kind of a job to support themselves not not everyone but like (laughs) most people do i think as long as that job doesn't totally infringe on your ability to like create your own stuff or doesn't like completely kill the enthusiasm for your own projects and you know like if you're for instance like I, i like if you're a personal assistant to somebody who's like a nightmare which i'm sure a lot of people come out of usc they get some like you know personal assistant gig to some famous person or whatever that sounds awesome but then they're like their life is hell because they work for this person and they live in fear that's a hard place to be creative from so Mm. i think as long as it if you want to like write or make something you just have to, to make it and keep doing it and yeah set up your life in a way that 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 part of it is is safe is protected mm. um and there have been times where i've had things or jobs or whatever right i didn't feel like it was protected and it's horrible but i do think it's something that people people can get out of and can find some way to to keep creating and get through but you know because i also have friends who who went the route of working at an agency or working up their way production companies or working in rooms or that kind of thing and they've been great experiences you know they've met and they've and they have met people who have really shown them the way so yeah yeah i I mean i think any path can lead to Mm -hmm. success dare i say there's no set path there is no set path i want to say it officially i I appreciate that i guess what i want to highlight from your experience is rather than go into something with all of these preconceived notions about Mm -hmm. well this this job can't help me because i'm an auteur and an artist and (laughs) this i I mean you know you're open-minded and kind of looked at the entire situation and thought okay who here can i learn from you know who here can i can i potentially collaborate with in approaching your producer which i think is something that's often overlooked people are so quick to want to label everything that sometimes some opportunities can be missed and when i say people i mean i have 100 percent been guilty of this so i me too i also should say this is like a sort of a, a hindsight 2020 totally. perspective with me there are days when i was cranky and had a terrible attitude so um but that's also part of it that's part of the journey so i think it's true yeah i think it's true it's it's often a part of the journey okay so uh leading up to usc mm. when was the interest in film for you yeah very young i grew up in corpus christi texas and my parents both liked movies like you know they would go out to the movies every weekend and i so remember the like they would go out and we would have a sitter on saturday night and they would come home and then they would tell me what movie they saw what happened in it and i would like demand all the information from them about Mm. the movie like whether they thought it was good or not and then most importantly like could i be allowed to see it because i was still like eight or nine at this point and you know there were just things that i wasn't allowed to see but um my dad was and still is like a big movie watcher and lover and he really was the first person to like turn me on to a lot of kind mm. of great 
you know, movies of the, you know, the, the dad movie era, like Jaws and Star Wars and Heat and all that kind of stuff. And I remember that really, really getting interested in movies probably when I was like eight, eight or nine, like because um, I had seen Jaws, Steven Spielberg's movie, and there's like a really really in-depth making of documentary about it on Mm. the DVD. And I just, that was the one that I sort of remember. And simultaneously too, I, um, I got very into like making Lego movies because Lego had this like sort of filmmaking angle at that time. You could like make a movie and stop motion. You mean stop motion? Yeah. Yeah. I remembered making a stop motion movie with my, my sister, Katie McClung, who is also in film now. She, she's a television writer. Show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. She works on a television show and she, um, she got the bug as well. <laughs> we both have it, but we both worked on that film when I was like eight or nine. So it's, it started early and then it just became, you know, in the next through adolescence, like an all consuming obsession by the next few years, basically. So what was the first movie you saw in theaters? I'm told it was The Little Mermaid. Okay. Uh, there was a re-release of it. I was about to say it. Yeah, because yeah. it came out in the late 80s, but there was a re-release in the mid 90s. I uh, saw that with, with my mom and my sister. Mm. Were you impressed? Yeah, well, it is It is a ridiculous story. It's funny you ask. Like, <laughs> basically, they showed the movie and I was like completely just like wrapped the whole time. And I think I was, I don't know, probably like, five four five and and i do kind of remember this weirdly but i can't tell if it's if it has just been incepted into my mind that i remember it but um the movie ended and i didn't leave my seat and i broke down and asked my mom like to play it again and i was like she's like it's over like we have to leave the room. And i was like please play it again like play it again have them play it again so it is it's sort of like a very cliche it's very funny that that you asked about that because yeah it's a, a ridiculous story. I love that story. I guess I was also thinking if if your mom is Catholic, if she thought the Little Mermaid espoused some poor choices oh, about whining, about wanting no. more. No, my, mom, my mom's pretty chill when it comes to, to content restrictions okay. in okay. movies. Yeah, she she's, wasn't too critical. She's of got a great of sort Ariel. of, yeah. Shout out to Mama McClung. Yeah, she's the best. What collaborators did you meet along the way who you still work with? Totally. I mean, so many. Um, I know. I basically need to do a quick, like, lightning round. So, so I Let's can do it. I'll go in chronological order. The first person who I really still steadily work with who I met at USC was Pierce Healy, cinematographer. <sighs> Shout out, Pierce. Uh, the best. And he really is. I should say Pierce shot Inhabitants and did an amazing job and pulled off something that I think is really, really extraordinary, especially given the limitations of our story. And, you know, it's obviously like I, there were times I was on set, like I've known Pierce 10 years now, our relationship Mm -hmm. spanning has spanned 10 years of working together. And, um, so he and I were roommates in college. And then shortly after Katie Waldron, who we we both know and love. Shout out Katie. Katie. Also uh, the best. Katie, a writer, filmmaker, and uh, one of the producers of our movie. I met her at school, and it was in a film class, um, and I believe that was in 2013, 14, early 2014 when we first met. And she she worked on this film, has worked on short films. I've worked on her short film. Katie read everything, you know, like the scripts. She's read stuff when they're in really horrific shape. And it's always like an important part of the process is I'm always very excited and nervous. She's the person who I who I want to know the most what she thinks. Mm, um, mm. 
And around that same time, our composer, Zana Rosinski. These are all such great people. Yeah, the best. Um, and even then, kind of had a reputation as being this like musical genius. And my relationship with him, like friendship and collaboration over the last, you know, basically almost 10 years at this point has been really rewarding and I've learned a lot. And I should say with, with, you know, all of these collaborators, something that I think is really, I I don't hear a lot when people talk about the people they work with. Sometimes it's communicated of like, yeah, they all just did my vision and like, oh my God, I love them so much. Like the support I get from them is so incredible. But I I, I really want to say like, I feel like I grew up with all these people with Pierce, with Katie, with Xander, with Eric. And a lot of my taste comes from them like things they they like to do or don't like to do Mm. you know pierce doesn't like lighting that's like this he likes lighting like that it's like i like that too xander likes this kind of you know arrangement i'm telling myself i don't know about music like (laughs) um or like you know katie likes this kind of tone or humor i like it too and i feel like i've learned a lot of that and share a lot of that and that's all based on stuff we liked or you know didn't like in school Mm. and coming up with it so I feel like a lot of the stuff we work on is is sort of a shared thing and it's not so much of like they're executing one person's vision or it's something. It's a collaborative process. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's something where you know, like every once in a while there would be something that's like oh it has to be this way, but for the most part I think it's important to to really listen to them and it helps that we have those years of trust. I should also say too right around that time I met Corey Sherman who just completed his first feature, Big Boys. Amazing, beautiful movie. And it'll be out next year, so keep an eye out for it. And Shout out, Corey. Corey has been one of my closest collaborators as a filmmaker and, like, my best friend. And it's just mm. basically... Yeah, so seeing the ride we've both been on for the last 10 years of, like, making shorts and working on projects together and reading each other's stuff, um, that's been really rewarding. But yeah, I mean, there's there's so many, so many people over the years from USC on short films and, you know, other writers and filmmakers. And I should say to you on Inhabitants, you know, there are people I hadn't worked with before. Thomas Rainier, our producer, and then um, Jean-Avi Nike, our production designer, our sound team. It was very exciting to meet some new faces, but mm. the crew was a lot of USC peeps. And then Sherry She our first assistant director yes, as well. Sherry. There's a movie by Werner Herzog about a ship that gets pulled over <laughs> a mountain through the, uh, the jungle. And I, that is like what I think about when Sherry carrying this production over a mountain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. How has your living situation impacted your creativity? Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I live in a one bedroom apartment with a, another writer filmmaker and it's, it's like, that finding the creative space for both of us is is both simultaneously important and a challenge you know um and it's also hard too i think with with the pandemic and stuff like um working from home it's like you know you're all in one space so i it's interesting before that i was really like i'll i'll stay at home and write kind of person like i need quiet but in the most recent few years, I've become a lot more about like going to a coffee shop and just kind of putting on headphones. And mm. I think we're on the train, the train. Yeah, there's something about going somewhere for like a finite period of time that helps me focus. And it's like I put the physical effort in to do this um, and like I should do it because I'm here and I, I've come to like that, you know, and and also, too, with with your writing habit, 
or your filmmaking habit shifts around whatever job you have. So mm. I prefer to be an early morning writer, like first thing, get up and do it. But sometimes there's things with my jobs or whatever that kind of, you know, change that. So then it's like, all right, you're writing in the afternoon now. And that's that's just the jump you got to make. Um, how, how do you make that jump? I just tell myself, would you rather not do it? And do you not want to do this? And do you would you rather just write nothing at all? Which sounds like intense and kind of harsh, but like maybe it's it the Catholicism works. coming through. But like the um, <laughs> okay, I'm, my yeah. takeaway from this is going to be recrediting Catholicism for creative discipline, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> but no, I I think it's it's very challenging, and and um, I've had writers express I think episode 13 maybe on the picket lines, someone expressing that you have to develop the ability to sit down in any 30 minute period, yeah. you know, when your kid is napping or when you're on the train, and just be able to write and I really think that's a skill that doesn't that does not come naturally to a lot of people mm. so even you saying that I think is encouraging because you don't have to have complete stability or predictability to start you know yeah yeah and I think it's just the desire to do it it's like well would I rather just have nothing yeah and then and, you know and that can that can be comforting because then I mean, I'm in it now. There are ideas I've had in my head for a long time that even on the way over here, just listening to music, thinking about them, mm. they're safe in that form because they're perfect because you haven't started trying to execute and develop them. They're not flawed because you haven't written them out. They're they're just they exist in this place in your mind where you're like, oh, my God, that would just be the best movie ever because you haven't tried to make it. You know, you haven't put anything into it yet. Yeah. You haven't made those compromises or struggled with it, you know, and then I think in recent years, too, I've I've learned like. I need to start early on an idea and then take a couple years and hopefully make something else before it to just gain some perspective on it. Something I would really love to ask other filmmakers about is like, do you just have an idea, write the idea and then make that movie? Because, you know, like I, I would wonder if I would trust it if it like it just came out, I did it and then that was it, which I guess is kind of what inhabitants with inhabitants. But other things had been written and worked on in that period of time that broke it up a little bit, gave me some perspective to come back to it and be like, OK, I like this part of it. This can change or whatever. Yeah, that's all really well put. You're inspiring me to do a roundtable episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can ask. <laughs> OK, before we get into the time capsule segment, I want to touch on some advice that you might give someone. How would you advise someone on getting started on doing what you do? And we can say, how would you advise the high school version hmm. of yourself, the postgrad version and the current version? Yeah. OK, high school version. That's a great question. I mean, that one, I, I this might be a cop out, but I do feel like high school postgrad and current version, some variation on the same answer, which is keep going. Don't give up, which is, is really common advice, but I do think it's true. You know, you have to find some way to keep the fire alive and keep your enthusiasm alive in terms of like watching new movies, music, reading books, doing anything that inspires you creatively to like keep that protected um, from the basically the harsher realities of the world that, <laughs> you know, inadvertently can can kill that. And the other thing would just be like, yeah, you're um, like, this is it like this. This the, you're not going to some like magical place where you'll just be transformed into a success someday. Like these are the people you're you're going to be working with. We're just talking about the collaborators like everyone from 10 years ago I met at school. I mean, I remember when we went to USC, they did this like kind of corny thing where they put us in a room and had us take a picture of the person next to us. And the person on my left was Adriana Writings, who edited my first short film at school and has since gone on to work at the Lucas Museum. And I've collaborated 
you know, and known her for years, basically. And then on the other side, it was Michelle Hampman, who is a writer who I know really well, who writes for Nickelodeon. And it's true like that. It's the same 20 people. Um, and it's great. So I would say that, like, you know, just to cherish those relationships, um, because that that is your life and you look back on it with with gratitude. And I think for the high school version, too, I remember when I got to USC, I had a very good really tight group of friends in high school like three or four core friends we just were inseparable and they like helped make films with me and they were just they're just amazing they're still you know we're still good friends but it was like they were all into music and movies and they like really made my high school life awesome and I remember getting to school and like really feeling like uh just like you know, to, to replace friendships of that depth level at first was, was challenging. Like I felt the absence and after college, it, it is interesting of like, Oh, like I've, I've kind of formed a new group of collaborators and friends. Um, and it just happens naturally. Cause in the moment you're not like, this is it. I'm forming these relationships, but over time you're like, it's amazing that it's all the same people and yeah, they're, they're great. So that's actually insane. You sat next to Michelle and Audrey. Right. It is crazy. Yeah. That's just wild. That you ended nuts. up next yeah. to them. I still have the pictures somewhere. Yeah. It's... Wait, those would be great. I'll have can to you see send it. them to me? I'll okay, see if go I can to find our it. Instagram. Okay. You mentioned there are moments that, mm. moments of despair, mm. if you will. Sure. When you may have wanted to give up. What was it that kept you going? Yeah. I mean, right. There are moments where you want to give up. I think part of it's just being like, what else would I do? You know, like, what else would I do with myself? You could pursue something else, but I love it. And I um, am moved by filmmaking. And it's it's what I've wanted to do with my life since I was like a, a, a little boy, basically. Mm-hmm. And that is hard when you feel like you're really not making any traction. You're like, wow, like, yeah, no one cares, <laughs> which is so not true. That's like you have this amazing group of collaborators and people, you know, you work with and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's tough. It does feel like there's a door and you're like cramming your head through the door and you can push the door open an inch. And it's interesting because I remember making short films and this was like right out of school and thinking like, oh, if I got into this festival, like I could get this to get this and, you know, then I could like maybe meet someone to make a feature this way. And like none of that ever has worked. Anytime I have ever thought strategically like five moves ahead, it's like nothing has worked or happened. But Weirdly, I did feel like just by making the movie, whether it was through creative, the creative work of doing it and learning a lesson, making it, that sustained me personally. It kept the fire going and it helped me learn more nuanced lessons about actually telling a story and making a film. You know, I think I think a lot of times in school you make a movie and you learn a lesson, but the lesson you learn is a big one, which is like, you cast the wrong actor. Um, (laughs) You didn't pay for sound. Like, you know, you um, rented this really expensive camera and then you shot inside like a white room. Just like big lessons where you're like, well, I won't do that next time, but the whole project is a little compromised because of it. And then I think as you continue to make things and people develop their craft, hopefully, or at least in my case, I feel like I learned more nuanced lessons of like, okay, this is working on a technical level, but this part, this kind of character decision really isn't totally tracking. This joke isn't landing and, or the point of view of the story isn't completely locking in for the audience in a way that engages them. And I mean, even still on the feature, there's a hundred little things in there that 
I hope you you notice, especially after watching the movie a ton of times, but it's just like it's good. It's more subtle lessons. And that stuff sustains me over time, because I think if you just came back to work on your script every morning, you know, and you're like, like before your day job and you're, you know, under caffeinated or whatever, like if you just approach it of like, I just have to get to the next level of my whatever, like that that's a that's hard to sustain and it's kind of an empty feeling and then also too and i know some guests on your show have talked about this like you you get to that level and you're like well this sucks like this is hard like n- nothing is solved yeah you mean getting to the next level career wise and then mean like it's it's just as complicated and yeah. stressful and sometimes even more so yeah and creatively compromising and you know then you're like well, i'm longing for the simplicity of, of those days when i could do what i wanted and yes yeah totally okay now we can get into our time capsule segment to freeze this moment on your path Mm. for your own personal time capsule and make some predictions for the future so we can start with the past if you could write a letter to yourself 10 years ago what would you say 10 years ago so that is late 2013 you know just keep going keep going and also at that point i'm smack dab in the middle of college and just enjoy it like we were talking about earlier of like Mm. i so remember at least in film school this like feeling of like really um really wanting it you know gripping the rails tightly i should say and just like relax and enjoy the fact that you're in um a really creative place with a lot of people um because there's things i you know that i really liked about college and one was just that you would just be walking around would bump into somebody who was working on a film or you'd see somebody else who was working on some other thing and don't let that go by and just just chill like just chill out i would tell that to myself like it'll it'll be all right and then the other thing is just just keep 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 going like keep doing what you're doing keep watching stuff and getting excited about things and try to stay enthusiastic would that advice change if you were speaking to yourself five years ago not really same stuff yeah and i probably wouldn't mention to myself five years ago i would be like hey so like in um because that was 2018 you know and that was a pretty good time for me like i you know was working and we had made a short film and the next year we, we went to took it to a festival in austin and it was a good time in my life i i would not mention um that hey in the next year there's going to be a giant global pandemic that'll keep you in your house for a year and yeah. then after that um a lot of other kind of wild shit's gonna happen um and strikes yeah and multiple strikes i would probably just be like keep going <laughs> like um yeah times get tough but like you know hang in there bud and i'd be like why was he why was future me so vague and weird <laughs> <laughs> it's just better to not know you know yeah um, okay getting into the present a little bit of a lightning round here mm. what is your favorite song right now oh man uh it's called all american B- it's by Olivia Rodrigo off Guts. I can't mm. stop listening to it. Love Olivia. What is your favorite show right now? It just ended its third and final season. It's called How To with John Wilson. It is this amazing quasi-experimental documentary show about New York City that's on HBO. And um, yeah, I just feel like it. It it is funny. It's romantic. It's sad. It you know, it makes me laugh hysterically and it's also really beautiful and Mm. it's all made by like, you know, a really small team of people. That's another thing I like about it is like, it just feels like it's a new form of sort of documentary filmmaking. I haven't really totally seen. So I would recommend it to anybody because it's, it sounds kind of crusty in that description, but it is like so entertaining. It's just, it's just about being alive. I'll have to check it out. Love a good, love a good docuseries. What is the best movie you've seen in the last year? 
There's two that have stuck around. One, uh, it's this movie called The Worst Person in the World. Love it, and it, it has haunted me since I saw it. And then two, similarly, there's a movie called After Sun. What food or drink item are you currently obsessed with? Love Loves baked wings. Mm. It's a wing place on Melrose. What was the most surprising thing that you learned from directing Inhabitants? Well, this this will be misleading, but it's not as hard as you think. It actually, if you have a good team of people, it can get done and mm-hmm. you can pull off things you, you didn't maybe believe in yourself for. Um, and that's not to say it is not hard. It's extremely hard, but it's like if you have a good team of people around you, it's amazing what you can do. So mm. have faith. Who would be dream collaborators for you? Brian Tyree Henry. He's on Atlanta. He's mm. an amazing actor. Jonathan Groff. He was on uh, Mindhunter and a lot of musicals. I think he's fantastic. And Kirsten Dunst, who I think is sort of Oscar nominated and like a legend and is still underrated as an actor. She's the best. Yeah, she really is. What are your current interests or hobbies outside of filmmaking? I'm trying to work on this because I, I need to develop them more, honestly. It's a really um, common response, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I like running. I, I run a lot. I ran a half marathon last year and then the year before as well. And um, I just really enjoy it. And I think it really, it's sort of, you know, it helps with my life. And then I tend to go kind of in and out of obsessions with like reading things. Mm. So I read a book last year about a hurricane that hit Galveston, Texas in the year 1900. Um, I realize I sound like a hundred years old talking about this, but it was an amazing book and that got me into like hurricanes and mm. that kind of thing. So who are your pets? Phoebe. She's a tuxedo cat. She's three years old and she is the light of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any tattoos? No, I'm, I'm totally tattooless. Yeah. Moving on to the future, five years from now, where do you imagine you will be living? Great question. Probably Los Angeles, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure. East side? I, if I'm going to be in LA, I'll be on the east side. I'll, uh, okay. I'll say it. Yeah, unless there's a really compelling reason for oh, me man. not to be. That's I, exactly how I feel about the west side and south side. Five years from now, is there anything that you hope will have been invented? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is a common answer, but something that helps with um, the environment, the climate change. Like... And if we're using, if there's all this fear about like AI and automation and stuff, like if that's here to stay, I hope that is also used to help things like that and not just um, make TikToks to get millions of views or something and put editors out of a job. I hope it's being used for renewable energy or something like mm, that. I see. Basically using the big, the big bad evil technology to actually help people. Yeah. The year is 2028. What is Indiana Jones up to in the latest installment of the franchise? Oh man. So that's putting Harrison close to 90. Um, he is trying to break out of a nursing home um, and is being aided by a plucky young archaeologist played by um, <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> wow. I cannot wait for five years now to see this film. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and telling me more about your story, your path. I think you shared so much valuable insight for people that are interested in directing, navigating the waters, overcoming self-doubt as we all do. Where can people keep up with you online? I'm on Instagram uh, at Matt McClung, and, but I also think... Um, 
our film inhabitants would be a good one to follow for updates about the movie which is that it's at at inhabitants movie on instagram and that's where we'll have all our updates about screenings and reviews and any news on the movie um so if anyone's interested you can reach out perfect awesome well can't wait to hear how austin film festival goes and best of luck thank you very much rebecca i really enjoyed doing this and um yeah thank you here is a recap of some takeaways from my conversation with matt one Don't allow intensity to choke your creativity. If you grip the rails of life too hard, you can forget to enjoy the moment you're in. Two, this career is a marathon, not a sprint. Three, when pursuing directing and choosing a day job, prioritize finding something that does not completely infringe upon your ability to make your own stuff or kill your enthusiasm for your own projects. This can look different for everyone. Four, the following four tips A through D are to try for your writing. A, find time in pockets already built into your day, like on the metro commute or lunch breaks. B, if you stare at a screen all day at a day job, consider writing a first draft on physical paper. This can also free you from structural expectations while you lay your creative groundwork. C, putting the time in to go somewhere physically like a coffee shop may be able to help you focus. D, if you're tempted to skip the time writing, ask yourself, would you rather have nothing? Five, keep going, don't give up. Six, keep the fire alive by engaging in anything that inspires your creativity and protect that. Seven, this is it. You're not going to get transported to a magical place where you'll be transformed into a director. The people around you are your future collaborators. Eight, every idea is perfect if you keep it safe in your mind without trying to execute, but that idea also never gets made. Nine, over-strategizing doesn't always work. Just make the movie. If nothing else, it will keep your passion alive and make you a better filmmaker. And 10, potential collaborators are everywhere. Just because a particular day job may not be aligned with your overall goals does not mean there aren't connections there that can help you achieve them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.